Open your Bibles up to 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to learn about another missionary, uh, another student, by the way. This one's a young girl, and uh, we are in our, our series, The Prophets, and uh, we're in our fourth sermon, <coughs> and we've uh, switched prophets today, by the way, and you'll see that here in just a minute. But we're in 2 Kings chapter 5, so in your Old Testament, book of 2 Kings chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 1 through um, probably about 19, 1 through 19, so pretty big story here. Beginning in verse 1, I'm going to start reading and follow along. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king said, the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went and taking with him 10 talents of silver and 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothes, he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I a God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry, and he went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and went, and so he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, It is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a child. And he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. And he came and stood before him and he said, behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will not receive any. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And then Naaman said, if not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon, when I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And he said to him, Go in peace. Jesus, you're king. You are Lord of all. You are the only source of salvation and of grace and of mercy. Uh, God, you're everything that we need. And Lord, you are, you are powerful to heal not only of leprosy but also of sin. And God, I pray that you would teach us about your salvation today. Teach us about humility, about uh, sharing our faith, share, being an evangelist. Uh, God, teach us about living out our faith in practical ways. And Lord, I I pray that your Holy Spirit would work and move today 
among our hearts. And God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this is our fourth sermon in the series of prophets. And you're going to notice that we have switched prophets, okay? Uh, the last three sermons, we've been looking at a guy named Elijah with a J in it, okay? Elijah. Okay, but last week we, we finished with him in 1 Kings 19. And if you remember the story, he's, dispre- he's depressed, he's despairing, and, and basically God, God gets him back on track. And one of the things he does when he gets him back on track is he says, I want you to go and I want you to anoint Elisha, this guy named Elisha, to be your successor. Okay, so he does that in chapter 19. They kind of minister together for a while. Elisha is kind of a disciple of Elijah. And then in, at the beginning of 2 Kings, by the way, you can go home and read this this afternoon. It's a really exciting story. But God takes up Elijah into the heavens in a whirlwind with a chariot of fire. Have you ever heard that story before? And, uh, and takes him up into the heavens in a chariot of fire. And, and Elijah tells Elisha, I know this is confusing, uh, that he says, if you see me get taken up, then know that God has honored your request and he's going to put a double portion of the spirit that was on me on you, okay? And Elisha does see him go into heaven in the chariot of fire. And so the anointing that was on Elijah goes to Elisha. And so Elisha begins to do these miracles in God's name to speak the word of God just as Elijah the prophet, okay? So we're going to be about three weeks in Elisha's life. And so I've just picked kind of three stories out of, out of the life of Elijah. Now, the reason I picked this one today in 2 Kings chapter 5 is because I believe it is a beautiful picture of God's salvation. Okay, it's a beautiful picture of what I would say is the gospel. Okay, now if you've been at Lincoln Avenue very long, you're going to say, hold on, Pastor. You have told us over and over again that the gospel is, let me just tell you how, here's how I explain it to kids, okay? Uh, and, and folks coming that are new to our church, I tell them, here, here's a good way to think of how we express the gospel, okay? In three parts, are you ready? Part number one is sin, okay? We're all sinners. We're broken on the inside. We don't love the right things. We don't do the right things. We've dishonored God. We've broken his laws. We are sinners, and sin results in spiritual and physical death, okay? So you got sin, okay? Part two, you got the cross. God sees us in our sin, and he loves us still. He loves us so much that he sends God the Son, Jesus Christ, who is equally God with God the Father. He sends him to be born of a woman, Mary, okay, if you know the Christmas story, to be born of a woman, to, be, to live a life on the earth of, of, of holiness and sinlessness for 33 years, and then to die a substitutionary death. That means for us. His death was in our place, and then to be raised from the dead on the third day, okay? So you got part one, we're sinners, we're broken. Part two, God loves us and sends Christ to die for us, uh, for our sins. Part three, we respond to that. If, if, if you are to be saved, you must respond to that gospel by faith and repentance, okay? Repentance is turning away from sin. You're going one direction in your life. Man, I, I don't want to go that way anymore. I'm changing my mind, changing my heart. I turn and I go another direction in life toward Jesus. Faith, so that's repentance. Faith is, is trusting, depending on, uh, yielding to, loving Jesus Christ, okay? Trusting him for all that you need, all right? So part one, sin. Part two, cross. Part three, faith and repentance, okay? That is what we understand to be the gospel. Now, as I come over here into 2 Kings chapter 5, and I tell you, man, I picked this story because it's a beautiful picture of salvation. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. Some of you are going to be like, Pastor, you need to read the passage before you preach on it because there is no mention of sin, cross, Jesus, faith, or repentance in any of this, okay? So you just told us that the gospel is this, okay? And yet when I read that story, I never see those words. 
You're right. You know why? Because it's eight, eight nine hundred years before Jesus comes, okay? Now, this is the Old Testament, okay? Jesus has not come to be born of Mary to live a sinless life, to die on the cross, and to give us the gospel of faith and repentance yet, okay? But you know what God is doing? Throughout all the Bible, God is giving us glimpses of his salvation, glimpses of the gospel, glimpses of his power, of his healing, of, of, of his judgment. God is giving us glimpses of the gospel, okay? There are times where I'm sitting in my house and I hear the garage door open, and I hear, I hear an engine, and I hear engine turn off, and then I hear a door slam, sometimes multiple times, bam, 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 you know, and, and I'll either hear like little footsteps going like this, or I hear big footsteps, okay? But you know what I know? I haven't seen anybody, but I know my family's home, Okay? Right? I know, I know they're home. I've gotten a glimpse. I've gotten evidence. I've got a shadow, okay? These stories in the Old Testament are shadows. They're glimpses of the salvation that's coming in Jesus Christ, okay? Right? Think about this. Noah's Ark, right? Most of you are probably familiar with the story of Noah's Ark. What's the what story of Noah's Ark about? Is it about God's love for zoology? It's really not, okay? I mean, a lot of times we focus on all the animals. It's really not about God's love for zoology. You know what it's about? It's about that God judges sin, okay? It's a glimpse of the gospel that sin results in death and God will judge sin. And there was a time on the earth where God judged the entire world with a flood and he saves one family, one righteous family by putting them in an ark. And so in the New Testament, when Jesus is talking about the gospel, he says, you know what? Just like in the days of Noah, God's going to judge the world again, this time not by water but by fire. And the only ones that will be saved are those who are in, not the ark, in Christ. You see, what do we have there? We have got a glimpse of the gospel, right? You remember all that sacrificing stuff in the Old Testament? How many of you have ever read your Old Testament and you're like, man, this place is a butcher shop, man. I mean, they're always killing lambs and killing bulls. and You know, what is all that about, you know? You know what all that's about? Your sin results in death, Okay. So somebody has to pay the price for your sin. Somebody has to die. The, the, without, the, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. That's what the Bible tells us. And so, so for all these years in the Old Testament, God would have the Israelites sacrifice animals, sacrifice lambs and, and goats and bulls for their, for their sins. But they'd have to do it over and over again. You know why? Because it did, never did the job. You know why? Because it was all pointing toward the Lamb of God, Jesus, who would give his life on the cross as the atoning sacrifice for your sins. And it, my friends, would be enough. So do you see what we're saying here? The Old Testament is, is giving us glimpses of, of the power and the salvation of God. Now, so I think 2 Kings chapter 5 is one of those pictures. How, how do we know that? Well, we start out with a guy who's got everything, but he's got nothing, okay? He's got everything in the sense that he has power. He's a commander of the army of the king of Syria, okay? He's got praise. Man, wouldn't you love it if people said this about you? Verse 1, he was a great man with his master and in high favor, okay? High favor means everybody thinks well of you. Everybody's talking about how, how good you are, how strong you are, how, what a great guy, what a great gal. I mean, He's got high favor. He's got power. He's got praise. God has blessed him. Interestingly enough, Syria at this time is, is an enemy of Israel. But because of Israel's idolatry, we've been talking about that the last three weeks, because they've not been worshiping the true God, God is judging them through other nations. And God is blessing Naaman, this guy. He's blessing him in his, his military, uh, military uh, campaigns. So he's got power. He's got praise. God is blessing him. He's got lots of, of victories. Verse 1 says he is a mighty man of valor. Man, every guy would love for people to say that about him. He's a, he's a mighty man of valor. Lots of victories. But 
then there's a huge but in this guy's life. He's a leper. He's a leper, okay? Now, he's a leper discounts all that other stuff, okay? Up until then, you're being like, man, I'd like to be this guy. But then when, when you hear he's a leper, you're like, no, don't want to be him, okay? You know, it, it, it would be equivalent today. The only thing I can think of today that would be equivalent to it would to be something, say something like, uh, man, this guy's a great guy. He's got a great job. He's got, a, he's got a, lots of money, um, but he, he has a history of being a pedophile, Okay. And, and, and so, all, you know, when, when you say that, all of a sudden it, it kind of changes all that other stuff, okay? And so when, when you're reading this and you hear, he's a great guy, you know, he's got all this, but, ooh, he's got a serious problem, okay? When you hear, he's a leper, you're like, man, this guy's got a problem. He's got a struggle. He's got a serious affliction in his life because leprosy was a disease. We don't see much of it today, but it was a disease in, in Bible times that was debilitating and contagious and, and, and just a horrible disease. And it was visible. Everybody knew you had it. You know, you, you, you can be walking around now with heart disease. Nobody knows it. You don't even know it, you know? You think you're fine. You're out playing football on Thanksgiving Day, but really you're, you, got a, you got a time bomb ticking inside of you, okay? But you know what? With leprosy, that's not the case, all right? Now you're sitting at Thanksgiving dinner and your ear falls off into the, the potatoes, all right? I mean, people know you got this thing. Leprosy was a horrible disease that, that literally your, your, your parts of your body would die and they begin to fall off until you, until you died. You know, there was no cure. I mean, it was a picture of walking death, okay? And, and often in the Bible, for the Israelites, for God's people, it was a picture of sin. You know, why was it a picture of sin? Because you were considered unclean if you had leprosy. You couldn't worship in, in the temple. You couldn't go to church, if you will, if you had leprosy in these days. You couldn't be around people. You had to be separated. You were considered unclean. It was a debilitating, horrible disease, okay? And Naaman has this leprosy. He is unclean. And, and I think it's a picture of sin throughout the Bible because that's what God sees when he looks at us. You know, if you read Isaiah chapter 1 and you read about the, 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 the description of a sinner, you know, I mean, how, how does a sinner look? Well, on the outside, they look great, you know. They're all slicked up, combed, you know, got perfume on, you know, cologne. They, they look successful. How do they look to God? Well, Isaiah 1 talks about from the, from the, sole of their, or from the crown of the head to the sole of the foot, nothing but rawness and, and wounds, not pressed out, not bandaged. I mean, when God looks at the sinner, he sees the heart, and he sees that we are broken on the inside. Just as when you look at a leper, you would know they are broken on the outside. And, and so, so you have this man who seems to have everything, but he has nothing, and then you have God initiating salvation in his life. You know what I love about the Bible? The Bible is full of stories of God reaching out to people that you would never expect he would reach out to. God's that kind of God. You know, in fact, Jesus uses this, this story in Luke chapter 4 when he starts his ministry. And, and, and he talks about God reaching out to Naaman. And people want to push him off a cliff. I mean, literally, they, if you read this, they actually try to push him off a cliff. Because when he opens up his ministry, he talks about how, how, how the Lord has anointed him to preach the good news. And, and then he says, but, but, but a prophet is never, uh, is never accepted in his hometown. And he says in verse um, 25, he says, In truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. Remember, that's the story we talked about three weeks ago. When the heavens were shut up and th after three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them, none of the widows in Israel, but to Zarephath, the, the land of Sidon, to a woman who's a widow. Verse 27, there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. 
And then verse 28 says, when they heard these things, all, of the, all in the synagogue were filled with rash, wrath and they tried to push him off a cliff. You know, you know why? Because, because Jesus tells them, look, God reaches out to all kinds of people. You know? you know who we want God to reach out to? Our friends. You know? Isn't that our nature? We want our enemies to go ahead and be lost. You know? Hey, you know what? God's not like that. Man, God, God reaches out to, to all kinds of people. And Naaman is one of those people. And, and he's not an Israelite. He's a foreigner. And he's a commander of an army that's been attacking Israel. But God initiates salvation in this guy's life. And then the Bible is full of people like that. I mean, think about Rahab. Who's Rahab? Well, she's a prostitute who owns a brothel in Jericho. God reaches out to her. God, God brings about faith in her life, repentance in her life. And brings her into the family of God. And, and, and if you've ever read the birth story of Jesus, Rahab is in there. She's in the lineage of Jesus Christ. That's the kind of God we serve. And I'm so glad. You know why? Because I'm one of those guys that's an unexpected recipient of grace. Okay, I'm one of those guys that probably nobody thought, I mean, that guy, God's going to take that guy. Okay, and, and many of you, I'm looking out here, you're those people as well. And God reaches out here to Naaman in an unexpected way. And you know what God also does? God uses an unexpected person to bring the gospel, the good news, the story of God to Naaman. Okay, who does he use? By the way, God always uses somebody. Okay, I told you about the gospel a little bit ago, right? Sin, cross, faith and repentance. Did you know that God is saving people all the time through that message, through the gospel? And you know what? He does it through people like you. Isn't that cool that God uses us for that? Isn't that cool that, that, that God brings about the message of salvation through our lips? He could have done it any way he wanted to, you know? I mean, he could have just sent a text message to everybody in the world, you know? Here we go. Bling, there it is, you know? If you want to be saved, you know, from God, he could have done it in fancy print so we'd all know it was from him, you know? He could have done it on our TVs. He could have put it in the sky. You know how he chose to do it? He chose to do it through your mouth. Okay? Through believers who know the gospel, he has chosen to bring the gospel. Listen to what Romans chapter 10 says. Romans chapter 10, verse uh, 13. Let's start there. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That, that's kind of the end of the gospel. That, that everyone who, who, who calls out and says, Jesus, I believe who you are, who you say you are. You'll do what you said you do. And, and I, I want you to save me. I want you to come into my life. Everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But notice what the next verse says. How are they going to call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they ever trust God? How will they ever yield over their life to Jesus if they don't know who he is? They won't. They won't. Nobody's going to give their life to Christ. Nobody's going to trust the word of God if they don't know who he is. Okay? And so listen to what it says. And who are, how are they to believe in him whom, whom they've never heard? Into verse 14. How are they to hear without someone preaching? So who's that someone in 2 Kings 5? This Naaman's got a big problem. He's got leprosy. The only, the only cure for this guy is God Almighty. How's he going to get there? Well, God uses a very unexpected person, a slave girl in his own house, okay? Okay, Naaman had sent out, he's, he's, he's winning, right? He's victorious. So he'd sent out armies, and they'd gone into Israel, and, and they, they'd conquered towns, so they'd come in, they had shields and swords, and they, they'd whip the army of Israel, and they'd come in, they'd take what they wanted. Well, somebody took a slave girl. Somebody took a girl out of the house. Somebody, somebody took like Avery, okay, Avery, about, about eight or nine years old, took her, took her back to Syria, sold her in the slave market. She ends up in Naaman's house working for Naaman's wife. 
washing dishes, cooking food, ironing the, the ironing, whatever she did. She's a slave girl. She's a foreigner. She's just a kid. But you know what? She is the one who tells Naaman about the God of Israel. Now, you, that, that's, that's a little shameful for those of us who say, it can't be me, God. You got, you got people in your family that need to know about Jesus? Did you have one of those Thanksgivings, you know? You know those Thanksgivings where you go and uncle so-and-so comes and, man, his life's a mess and he's, he's not trusting Jesus. He's not following Jesus. He, he, he's not in any way, you know, living his life as he ought to live it. And you desperately want him to know about Christ and for his name to be changed, his, his life to be changed. Hey, maybe you're the guy to tell him. And you say, well, not me. You, know, you got to be a pre. No, you don't. All you got to be is, is a slave girl, okay? All you got to be is somebody who knows one thing about Jesus, and that's that he's awesome, okay? And that's exactly what happens here is this little girl brags on Jesus. Whenever we have meetings in the church and we talk about what, what, what do we want to learn? What, what classes do we want to do? You know what almost always comes up? I want to know how to share my faith, okay? You want to know how to share your faith? Here it is. Brag on Jesus. That's all sharing your faith is, is bragging on Jesus. <laughs> And I don't even think we need a class. You know why I don't think we need a class? Because I've seen you guys brag, and you already know how to do that, okay? You already know. Uh, whenever your team wins, man, you guys are experts. I've seen you. I've seen you brag, man. I've seen you just talk about how awesome your team is and how awesome the quarterback is and what a great guy he is and how you read an article. He's this, he's this kind of guy off the court and on the court and off the field and on the field. And, and, and I've seen you brag about your kids. You know, you probably did that at Thanksgiving. You know, we did that. You know, we go to my mom's. My brother's there. He's got his kids. My other brother's there. He's got his son, you know, and, and, and you just naturally do it. Hey, hey, tell grandma what you, what you learned in church. Tell her your verse, you know. I bet, I bet Jeremy's kids can't do that. You, know, you tell them that, you know. Hey, hey, show, show Grandma how you play the piano. Play the piano for Grandma. You know, hey, hey, show Grandma, show Papa how you, how you throw the, the, the ball. Show Papa how you shoot the gun. You know, we, we, want, we automatically do that. It's not, it's not a mystery. You don't got to learn that. Does anybody got to learn how to brag? I don't think so. We already know it. We just usually brag on the wrong things, right? What, what does a slave girl do? All she does is brag on God, okay? Verse three, she said to her mistress, oh man, I just wish my Lord were with the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. That's all she does. Jesus, man, naming my master, man, he is sick. He is broken. I sure wish he could get to Samaria because there's a prophet of God there. There's power there. There's glory there. That guy could cure him. That's all she does. You know, a lot, here, here's the biggest excuse I hear for people not wanting to share their faith. I don't know all the answers. Pastor, what if they ask me a question? What if they ask me what propitiation means? First of all, who's gonna ask you that, okay? Nobody. Nobody's gonna ask you that, especially somebody who doesn't know Jesus. You know, and a lot of times that, that's our excuse. I don't know all the answers. Did this gal know all the answers? Did this little girl know all the answers? You think she knew all the answers? You think Naaman, first of all, Naaman didn't ask her anything, okay? He didn't ask her anything. But what if he did? What if he asked her, hey, how is the prophet gonna cure me? You tell me how. What's he gonna say? She doesn't know that. You know all she knows? And there's a God in Israel. And the God in Israel, he can take care of lepers. You ought to be there. That's all she does. She brags about Jesus. And here's the interesting thing about this little girl. You, you know why she was such an effective evangelist? A couple things. Number one, she's not bitter, 
Okay, now, now the reason I say that's that's incredibly important because bitter people are horrible evangelists. Okay, when, when, when it, whenever you're all about you, whenever you're Elijah last week, remember Elijah last week? Poor, poor, pitiful me. He was singing that country western song, you know, and, and, and that's all he was about was, you know, was how bad my life is. And I'm the only one, and nobody else, and you know, God's let me down, and blah blah. Yeah, man, those people are terrible evangelists. No, nobody, nobody wants that guy's God. Okay. Whenever you're at Thanksgiving and, and it's just all about how horrible your life is and how, how what a bad streak you've got, and man, nobody's saying, man, I want to I have that guy's God. Man, this old girl's not that way. And you say, well, she hadn't been through what I've been through. True. But you probably haven't had someone come into your town, burn all the buildings, kill all the adults, take you from your family, and put you in a foreign country. You probably haven't had that happen. Okay. I know she's probably never had the hospital call and collections, okay? So she probably hadn't been what you've been through, but you probably haven't been what she's been through. So, right? I mean, everybody's got their own troubles, okay? So, so this little girl's had a rough life of it, okay? But, but, man, the beauty of this, that does not keep her from bragging on Jesus. Not, that does not keep her from saying, man, there's a God in Israel. Man, he's awesome. Now, what could have she said? She could have said, well, I thought there was a God in Israel, and I thought he was awesome, but obviously, since I'm here and he let me be taken, I guess maybe he's not awesome. That's why some people reason. But actually, there was a very good reason why God allowed that raiding party in there. The Israelites were, were disobeying God. They were worshiping idols. We, we looked at that the last three weeks, right? You, you know what I found? When, when people... When people don't quit the mission of God, even in adversity, they are used powerfully for God. Let me give you some examples of that. Joseph. Remember Joseph? Man, here's a guy who's got a winner of a family, right? His brothers sell him into slavery. They tell his folks he's dead. He's been killed by a wild animal. They sell him into slavery. He can't even get a good slave family, okay? His slave family, the lady lies about him, falsely accuses him. He gets thrown into jail, now, if there's ever a time to say, you know what, I'm just ticked off about life, and I'm mad at God, and I'm certainly not bragging on it, it, was, it would be Joseph. You, you know what Joseph does? Joseph continues to brag on the power and the glory of the God of Israel, so much so that word gets around, and when, when Pharaoh is, has a dream he can't interpret, you know who they send for? They send for that guy down in the dungeon that won't shut up about how awesome his God is. And they bring him out. Sure enough, he interprets the dream, becomes prime minister of Egypt, and saves all of Israel. Isn't that cool? In his adversity, he brags on Jesus, and God uniquely positions him for greatness. Lots of stories like that. Daniel. Remember Daniel? Again, Babylonians come in, take over. Uh, People are killed. He's a young man, gets taken away in chains to Babylon. He won't stop bragging about Jesus. He won't stop bragging about the God of Israel. He, he won't even eat the, 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 the king's food and follow the king's you know, agenda. He says, man, you let us eat our food. God, God will bless us. You watch. God will take care of us. Takes care of him. Positions him for greatness. Esther. Remember Esther? Man, talk about being in a situation a young girl doesn't want to be in. You know what? She doesn't stop bragging about the God of Israel. Saves her people. 
Okay, the Bible is full of stories just like that. And this little girl, even though she's had a rough time of it, she is bold about her God. She is confident about the power and the glory and the greatness of her God. And she speaks God's truth to this guy named Naaman. He listens. How many times do we not speak because we don't think people will listen? Hey, who would have thought this, this commander of armies would be listening to a little girl who's a slave in his house? You know what I've found? When people know they're broken, their ears are open. You ever seen that? Yeah, I think so. And so he listens. And so he goes. He, he takes off. Now, Naaman's, <laughs> he didn't get it right right away. I mean, that's true with most of us, right? He, he, he goes to the wrong place. First of all, he brings a, a truckload of money. You know why? Because in his mind, I can buy whatever I need, okay? I'll go down to Israel. They'll see the truckload of money, and, and they'll heal me. Whoever, the God of Israel will be impressed with that. He'll, look, God's not impressed with money. He goes to the wrong person. He goes to the king, okay? The king's a doofus, all right? If you read about the king, he, he's an idolater. He's not faithful. He, he, doesn't, he thinks serious, trying to pick a fight with him, you know? And he's tearing his clothes and, you know, weeping. And that was a sign of, you know, mourning in, in Israel. Elisha hears about it. He's like, ah, you know, send him to me, you know. So he send, sends Naaman to him. Naaman comes to Elisha. And right away, here's what we find. And you're going to find this all the time. Here's what we find. In order for Naaman to embrace what God's going to do in his life, he's got to get over an obstacle. Almost always there are obstacles in people's lives to coming to God. Have you found that to be true? You look through the Bible, that's almost always there. The rich young ruler, what was his deal? Man, he wouldn't let go of his money. You know, he worshiped his money. He loved his money. His money was what gave him purpose and meaning in life. You know, you find in, in, in everybody's story, they've got their own obstacle, okay? What is Naaman's obstacle? It's pride, okay? It's pride. And so how does, how does the prophet handle that? Well, the prophet handles that by by. Here's what God always does. Whatever your obstacle is, God's going to pick on it, you know? Isn't that something? He does that, you know? You, you, ever, you ever, you know, you come to church and, you know, the, you got an issue in your life. The sermon's about something completely different. What does God hammer you with the whole time? Your deal, right? Okay? That's what God does. And, and Naaman's got, a, got an issue. It's pride. And so God hammers that. How, how, does, how does God hammer that? Well, he hammers it by Elisha doesn't even come out. Notice in verse, 11, verse uh, where is it at? Verse 9. Naaman shows up, he comes with his horses, his, chari- his chariots, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house, all right? So you gotta put this in context, all right? Horses, chariots, that's a sign of wealth, power, okay? It would be the equivalent of, of 10 limousines pulling up in front of our church, kind of circling the church, you know? And, and the door opens and red carpet comes out, you know, and here comes Naaman, you know, dressed all to the hill. You know, he's still got leprosy, he got, you know, Chunks of skin falling off, but, you know, he's dressed the hill, you know, comes up to the door of the church, knocks on it, okay? Elisha doesn't even come out. He didn't come out. He sends somebody, whoever, you know? They, they probably had a Winnie cooking there, you know? And she's probably back in the back, you know, making ham sammies, you know? And, and, and Elisha just says, hey, go tell that guy over there to wash in the Jordan seven times, he'll be cured, you know? When he comes out, say no restaurant, you know, wash seven times in Jordan, you know, you'll be healed. And slams the door, you know. Man, he is he is ticked. He he's he's mad. Listen, listen to what he says here. Naaman is insulted, okay? Look at verse uh, eleven. Naaman was angry. Okay? He went away saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me. 
I, I thought, surely, I thought, I'd show up here with all this entourage, with all this money. I, shot, I thought, surely, he would come out, you know. He would at least come out, and he would stand, and I thought he would say a prayer. He'd call upon the name of the Lord, and he'd wave his hand. He didn't do any of that. He, he sends a messenger and tells me to wash in the Jordan. He's done. He, listen, he's walking away. Verse, verse 12, the end of verse 12. So he turned and went away in a rage. You know, you know what hits me about that? Here's a guy that is this close to salvation. He's this close to being healed. And he's walking away. You, you think that ever happens today? You, you, think, you think there's ever people... God's working. God's working in their heart. God's moving. God's speaking. But there's some prideful thing in there. And, and they, they grit their teeth and they walk out. They walk away. I do. I think it happens. He's walking away. You know why he's walking away? Because he's used to be made much of. Okay, He's used to people being impressed with him. He's used to being the big man. He's used to getting his way. He feels like he deserves. You know what? He shows up here. He deserves the prophet to come out here. Prophet needs to do his own little ceremony here. He deserves, because he's, he's an important guy. He's a commander. He'd come in and wipe out this whole town if he wanted to. You see where that kind of thinking gets people? Here's a basic rule, folks. It is really hard to see the glory of God when you're looking in the mirror. Man, it's hard to see that. And all Naaman's doing is looking at himself. It's about me. I've been wounded. Someone didn't pay attention to me. So, someone didn't treat me like I think I ought to be treated. So, someone, didn't, someone didn't cater to me. So I'm mad and I'm walking away. Man, pride really gets in the way. You know, you know what the Bible says about pride? James 4, 6 tells us that God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble. In Luke chapter 18, there's an interesting story about two men. Two men come to church. Listen, listen to him. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax gatherer. <clears throat> Verse 11, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, tax collectors. You know, you know a clear sign of pride is when you, you always want to compare yourself to other people. Well, I'm not as bad as that guy. No, I'm, I'm glad I'm not them. And boy, did you hear about the problems in their life? Our family's a lot better than that. That's pride. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. Here's all that I do. Here, here's, all, here's why God should be impressed with me. Okay, here's the other guy, verse 13. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This guy won't even look up. All he does is, is cry out to the Lord, God, please be merciful. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. God, I'm, I don't deserve it. I'm damaged. Listen to what Jesus says. I tell you, this man went away to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Well, fortunately, Naaman's got some good folks in his life, okay? 
And they urge him this one thing. They urge him to say, hey, listen to the word of the prophet. Just don't focus on yourself. Don't focus on that you feel you've been slighted. Don't focus on your own pride. Listen to the word of the prophet. They keep telling him that. It's a good word. Listen to the word. He, he told you to do this. If he'd have told you a great thing, you'd have done it. Do, do what he says, okay? Do what he says. You, you see, they got to get him over this whole pride thing. You know, you know 1 Corinthians 1.18, let me just paraphrase it. It says... The word of the cross is foolishness to most people. You know, it's not what most people think they need. You, you ask most people in their heart, what do you, th- what do you need? What, 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 do you, what do you need? What, what's the answer for your life? You know what most people are going to say? The answer for my life, more money. You know, the answer for my life, a better job. The answer for my life, my boss gets hit in a car wreck tomorrow. You know, the answer in my life is that my, my, my spouse starts treating me better. You know, that's the answer. That's what I need. And you tell them, no, the answer for you is that is that Jesus Christ came to earth, he lived a perfect life, he died a substitutionary death, and now he calls you in his resurrection life to join him by faith and to repent of your sin. You know what most people say? Uh, okay, that's a nice story. Now, back to what I need. I need money, I need a better job, right? For most people, that, that message is foolishness. Just like for Naaman. It wasn't what he expected. But, but his servants plead with him, Naaman, just listen to the word of God. He does, okay? He listens to them. He goes to the Jordan, verse 14, dips himself seven times in the Jordan, seven times under. On the seventh time, he comes up and he's healed. He says his flesh is like that of a little child. Now, I want you to see that this, this passage is much more than about physical healing, okay? Uh, you, if you get leprosy, Please don't go to the Jordan River. Go to the doctor, okay? Because that's not what this is about. This, this, this is about spiritual healing, okay? Well, how do I know that? Well, remember in verse 8, it says, When Elijah the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me now. That, here's the purpose, that he may know there's a prophet in Israel. You see, this whole story is about Naaman knowing who God is. Naaman knowing the word of God. Naaman knowing the power of God. And indeed, as he is healed, Naaman is a changed guy. Not just on the outside, but he's changed on the inside. Listen to verse 15. He returned to the man of God, all of his company. He came to him, stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. You hear what he says? Man, I know now there's one God. And, and, and the Lord, he is God. He's all that, he, he's all that matters. Okay? Verse, uh, verse 18. No, verse 17. He says, Let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth, for from now on your servant will worship, will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. He says, man, from now on, there's only one that I'm worshiping. There's only one that I'm going to love. There's only one that I'm going to give my allegiance to, and that's the Lord. And then you know what's really cool. One of the ways that you can tell if somebody's really been changed on the inside, if they've really come to salvation, is how they begin to live that out in their practical day-to-day life, okay? Here's what I've seen before, and this, this is a heartbreaker. I've seen people who say, I want to be saved, and they come, and okay, what do I need to do? Okay, faith, repent, sure, let me give my life to Jesus, be baptized, okay. And then after that, it's like, Phew, it's done now. Okay, I'm good. I'm good. You, you, you know what Naaman immediately does? Look at verse 18. Some of you may have wondered why this is even here, but it's really beautiful. He says, he comes, he's got to ask Elisha a question. 
He says, in this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master, that's the king of Syria, that's who he works for, goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon. When I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And then Elijah answers him and says, go in peace. You know what he's doing? He's already working out. Okay, I'm only worshiping the Lord now. The Lord is my God. The Lord is my king. Ooh, 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 ooh. When I go back Monday and I'm working for the king of Syria, every Monday morning he goes into that false god's house to worship and, and I'm his assistant. I'm his number one guy. And he's an old man and he leans on my arm. And, and I get him out of his chariot and I help him and we walk in there and then he gets down to the front and, and, and it's really hard for him to bend down and so I bend down with him and you know what he's thinking? <gasps> I'm going to be bowing down in that foreign temple. And I don't, I don't want to worship any other God but the Lord. But I'm not really worshiping him. I'm just, I just got to do my job with my master. And so he comes to Elijah and he says, hey, is that okay? Will the Lord, you see, isn't that beautiful? He's already working out how he's going to live out his faith. It, it'd be the equivalent of somebody coming to Christ today and then being like, okay, man, how's this going to look in my life? All right, Tuesdays, usually go out with the guys and we bowl and we go to Mazio's. How's that, okay, how, how am I, how's that going to change what I do? How's that going to change what I say? And is, it, is this still okay to bowl? Yeah, I think it is, but I just, I just need not to do this. And You see, he's working it out. He's working out. How's my faith going to live out in my everyday life? Man, that's how you know this guy's heart's changed, okay? He, he, he's healed of leprosy, but something bigger has gone on in his heart. It's the picture of God's salvation. Man, I tell you what, I am so glad this morning that you guys don't have leprosy, okay? You'd be, you'd be a lot harder to look at if you did, okay? We'd be picking chunks of stuff up off the floor. <laughs> Janitor would want to raise, okay? It'd be, it'd be bad. But you don't. But you do have sin. You do have sin. And so the question today is, have you received the salvation of God through Jesus Christ? Have you come and humbled yourself? Is it not about you anymore? Oh, that's a huge step, isn't it? When it's not about you. Man, what a blessing that is in your marriage. What a blessing that is in your family. What a blessing that is in, in your friendships. When it ceases to be all about how you look and who you are and whether you got honored and whether, whether, whether you got attention. And what, when, it, when it ceases to be about that and it becomes about the Lord. Have you come to the point in your life where you've you put your faith in Christ? Where you begin to live that out in your everyday life. Where you begin to think, okay, how's this going to look when I go to work? How's this going to look in my relationships? How's it going to look in my friendships? Man, that's salvation. When in your heart there's only one God, and that's the Lord. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for, for providing salvation. God, I, I praise you that you're a God who, who not only can heal lepers, but you're a God who can forgive sinners. And you're a God who can change hearts. And you're a God who can, who can bring salvation. And Father, we rejoice in that. We, we want that, God. We need it. So Father, please work in, in us. Lord, help us to respond. In Jesus' name, amen.